0: The Lord be with you, and also with you, lift up your hearts, we lift them up to the Lord. We gather this Lord's Day in the spirit of one who did write and sing 500 years ago. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, a shelter he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. We gather for worship, including our congregation here within Marsh Chapel and our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and our internet listenership now and later around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership and service in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. This Reformation Sunday is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God. Almighty and everlasting God, increase in us the gifts of faith, hope, and charity, and that we may obtain what you promise. Make us love what you command, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. As the choir momentarily guides us, let us recall in confession that we do not always fully rely upon the faithfulness of Christ as Martin Luther would teach us his favorite letter in the New Testament, Galatians, to which he referred as his Katie von Bora. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh." I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand fast and do not be enslaved again. Let us pray. Beloved, be absolved and hear good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God.
1: A lesson from Paul's first epistle to the Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully mistreated at Philippi, as you know, we had courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. For our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel, even so we speak, not to please mortals, but to please God who tests our hearts. As you know, and as God is our witness, we never came with words of flattery or with a pretext for greed, nor did we seek praise from mortals, whether from you or from others, though we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us.
2: saying verses from Psalm 90 with the antiphon our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn us back to dust and say, turn back, you mortals. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, or like a watch in the night. You sweep them away, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Turn, O Lord, how long? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad as many days as you have afflicted us, and as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be manifest to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and prosper for us the work of our hands. O prosper the work of our hands.
3: Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through 46. Glory Glory to you, you, O Lord. Lord. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David by the spirit calls him Lord saying, the Lord calls him how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. The Gospel of the Lord.
4: To you) Lord Christ.
0: Be seated. Mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our shelter he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. The author of our first and famous hymn this morning, Martin Luther, was born in 1483 in Eisleben, Germany. His father was a miner of some influence who wanted his son to become a lawyer, in part to help the growing family business. Martin disappointed his father and became a monk, in part due to a frightening experience in a fierce thunderstorm in 1505. Terrified, he promised, if he survived, to enter the monastery. His love of the scripture became the center of his teaching work his ministerial vocation, and his spiritual existence. In the Bible, he found what he did not find in the church of his time and the religious practice of his time and in his time. He found therein, in the scripture, truth. Once dwelling therein, Luther became a scriptural genius learning the biblical languages, lecturing upon the Psalms, mastering especially the New Testament, and particularly particularly the letters of Paul. Were he to return from the dead and preach here at Marsh Chapel, he might well take as his theme as last week, what a friend we have in Paul, or as next week, Luther on prayer, or as the following week, Luther on hymnody, as Dr. Christopher Brown will preach to us. Luther's disputations began well within the church of his day and were at first understood by all as scholarly differences typical for religious contest. But as Father Raymond Brown once told us, all reformations go far beyond what the reformer did originally intend. In 1517, on All Hallows' Eve, Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral, attacking the practice of indulgences and setting the authority of the Bible over against the authority of the Church. In various tribunal settings, Luther, with a little help from his friends, affirmed the authority of scripture and attacked the authority of the Church. Over the next three years, his writing, teaching, and publication and preaching, with the help of the newly developed printing press, quickly raised up a storm of controversy. In 1520, he published three magisterial treatises, and by 1521, he was excommunicated. He defended himself at the Diet of Worms in 1521, saying simply, here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Over the next two decades, again with much support and assistance from others, Out of his voice and writing emerged the Lutheran Church, the Protestant Reformation, and the concomitant splintering of the Christian Church's visible unity, which fracture has not been healed to this day. In 1525, he married a former nun, Katie von Bora, and together they had six children. He died in 1546 in the very town in which he had been born. He preached taught, lived, trusted, and extolled the gift of faith. In that way, oddly enough, he was like akin to Thomas Merton, whom we shall hear from in Lent in the year to come. James Finley says of Merton, he once told me to quit trying so hard in prayer. He said, how does an apple ripen? It sits in the sun. A small green apple cannot ripen in one night by tightening all its muscles, squinting its eyes, and tightening its jaw in order to find itself the next morning miraculously large, red, ripe, and juicy beside its small green counterparts. Like the birth of a baby or the opening of a rose, the birth of faith, the birth of the true self takes place in God's own time. We must wait for God, we must be awake, we must trust in his hidden action within us. Or so also our beloved J. Lewis Martin. All religions are attempts to know God. None is the event of being known by God. God's gracious gracious election of us by his rectifying and non-religious invasion of the cosmos in Christ is the subject of the whole letter to the Galatians and the whole of the New Testament. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Properly to remember Martin Luther in the space of a 20-minute teaching sermon, here with emphasis on his thought, we shall need to be brutally concise. We focus here on one year alone, 1520, and the three fundamental documents from that cornucopia year, which to some measure encompass the broad range of Luther's theological perspective. Together, these three, quote, made the breach with Rome irreparable and established the foundations of what, it, what eventually would become a new church, quote, with thanks to Dr. Lindahl Roper now and later. The first of these three is the essay to the Christian nobility of the church. We should remember that Luther's Reformation coincided with the emergence of the printing press. 4,000 copies of nobility were sold as soon as they came off the press in August of 1520. It was addressed to German laypeople written in German, and argued that since the church itself had been unable to reform itself, it fell to the laity to do so. The reform promoted here is heavily weighted on financial reform. Luther charged the church with avarice and charged the nobility with the task of addressing that avarice, something the nobles had every interest in doing. Luther attacked usury, he attacked complex financial manipulations. He attacked the control of much money by few people. The genius of the tract was to combine the economic grievances about the Church's financial affairs with the religious issue of the authority of Scripture, which Luther averred, overrode spiritual law, overrode the church's teaching authority, and overrode the councils called by popes. Luther set fire to the cult of saints, to religious orders, to masses in memory of the dead, to pilgrimages, and to monastic vows, including his own, all on the basis of economics and scripture. Most striking to our ears is the full sympathy Luther had for priests and religious who had fallen in love and fallen into another's arms. Putting them together and forbidding sex, he said, was, quote, like putting straw and fire together and forbidding them to smoke or burn, quote. Only the nobility, he argued, only the lay princes, he said, had the power to challenge this and to do all that he expected, and he charged them to do it. Sola gratia. The second is the treatise on the Babylonian captivity of the church. This came out that year in October, after Luther had been threatened with excommunication. The title, in which is his old argument, refers to the children of Israel, the real church, held captive in a foreign land by an alien power for a sordid purpose, the Church of Rome. Herein, Luther trimmed the list of sacraments from seven to two, protecting only baptism and Eucharist on the the basis of scripture. Herein, Luther rejected an Aristotelian understanding of the mass, one of accidents and essences, but emphasized and retained a full actual presence in the Eucharist. He held strongly and fully to the external word in the actual preaching of the gospel, in the actual presence in the sacrament, and in the actual utterance of absolution. All these three we regularly practice here at Marsh Chapel month by month. The sacraments, he argued, are not fulfilled when they are taking place, but when they are being believed. Faith, then is all. It is the belief that makes the sacrament and not vice versa. Human beings could not make themselves perfect and win acceptance with God because of their good deeds. They had to accept their sinfulness and recognize that God and his justice accept sinners. Thus they were at one and the same time sinners and saved simul justus et peccator. At the beginning of the service every Sunday, just a few moments ago, we utter a prayer of confession and hear a word of absolution, sola fide. The third tractate is the freedom of the Christian. If you are thinking to read just one Lutheran essay, this is the one to choose this week. Written in November of 1520, this is a 30-point sermon. See how lucky we are to have to endure only three points each week? He wrote, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. So the writing begins and in the same manner ends and argues beautifully through and through so beautiful, so dialectical, so paradoxical, so realistic, so scriptural, so Lutheran. It is the inner person who finds faith. For every human act, thought, deed, presentiment is colored by sin, tainted by pride, sloth, falsehood, superstition, idolatry, hypocrisy, creatureliness. The Bible teaches us about sin, the Bible teaches us about faith, and it is the Bible alone, said Luther, that holds the full authority to do this. Hence, all of us who believe in Christ are priests and kings in Christ, as 1 Peter does say, sola scriptura. Luther's teaching is often and rightly summarized thus sola gratia, sola fide, sola scriptura, by grace alone, by faith alone, by scripture alone. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we shall not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. Luther's influence shapes our understandings of power, preaching, and prophecy. Power. Luther reminds us of the relativity of all human ideals. Luther distrusted concentrated power, as Ms. Gelhorn put it this year, quote, I mistrust power for myself and everyone else, especially power bespo- bestowed by race, creed, or color. Luther trusted preaching, but not preaching of those whose Heads were clear enough, but who never cleared their throats. Luther respected, but mistrusted, reason alone. We might put it this way. Do you want to know better, or do you want to get better? Do you want to know better, or do you want to get better? Luther agreed with some current psychology that man can do what he wills, but cannot will what he wills. And Luther would not be surprised by current political leaders who choose political opportunity over moral judgment. Luther's voice is heard in that of Paul Tillich, who wrote, the Protestant principle is the restatement of the prophetic principle as an attack against a self-absolutizing and consequently demonically distorted church power. Preaching. As James Kay has written on preaching, the great Lutheran, Rudolf Boltmann operates with an I-Thou model or analogy of revelation as entailing existential commitments. Specifically, he construes the presence of Christ to an individual as analogous to the encounter of a lover and a beloved, when and where the former says to the latter, I love you. The statement, I love you, is arguably a promise and simultaneously an existential statement in that it does not simply convey information, but is a self-involving declaration. In saying, I love you, the speaker does not discourse about love, but enacts love concretely. This word of love is the love of which the scripture speaks. His description of the proclaimed charisma as personal address, demand, and promise is the very act of divine grace. Words heard with commissive force, self-involve, agent, and subject. I love you also functions as a demand insofar as it places the addressee in a new situation, namely of being the beloved which evokes no which requires a response preaching prophecy here is a business leader charles willie warning of emptiness those who would master the institutions of our society a company a community or any other collectivity must decide here and now to give themselves over fully to that which they wish to fully control By so doing, they will also forfeit some of their freedom and flexibility. Is mastery worth the outcome of an imprisoned personality that is efficient, well-organized, but constrained and unspontaneous? Here is a scientist, Charles Darwin, of whom a new biography was published recently, naming him the greatest Englishman of his age. My mind seems to have become a kind of machine for grinding general laws out of a large collection of facts. The loss is a loss of happiness and may possibly be injurious to the intellect and, more probably, to the moral character. Here is a philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard, warning about the dangers even in good motives. The greatest evil comes not from selfishness, but from selflessness in the service of a great cause. Here is a superannuated Methodist bishop, Violet Fisher, warning us about our present peril. I ask us to turn over to God for healing the anger and the fear and the desire for dominance that would lead us to harm another human being or to acquiesce in harm done to another. And here is a chapel dean. We see what we want to see. We minimize hatred and evil. We ignore the lessons of history to our hurt. We love to be entertained. We neglect worship. We worship identity politics. We need humiliation for humility to be born. We learn only from experience. Doctors we humor. Pain we obey. Prophecy. It may be, as even later Lutheran Lutheran history and teaching have noted, that the adjective sola only should bear some scrutiny. Maybe not sola gratia, grace alone, but grace and love together that can measure and resist, say, the anti-Semitism that predates Christianity, that is found in the New Testament, John, and even Paul in 1 Thessalonians later, and that is tragically found throughout the works of Luther. Maybe not sola fide, faith alone, but faith and works One being surely dead without the other, as James actually quite rightly put it. Maybe not sola scriptura, scripture alone, but scripture as formed in tradition, as explicated in reason, and as interpreted in in experience. So, gratia and agape, fide and semeia, scriptura and aletheia. Elie Bissell said, he who hears a witness becomes a witness. He reminds us of who we are at Boston University. Martin Luther said, here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. He reminds us of who we are in religious life. Thomas Merton said, love is my true identity. Selflessness is my true self. Love is my true character love is my name he reminds us who we are as christian people martin luther king said the moral arm of the universe is long but it bends toward justice he reminds us of who we are at marsh chapel so come and join us we mean it come and join us for this year in remembrance in worship and fellowship and discipleship Come and join us in this season of memory and remembrance. Let goods and kindred go this mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Amen.
5: We now come to a time of prayer in the service. I invite you to remain seated, stand, kneel, or come to the altar rail, assuming a posture of prayer that best allows you to support the prayers of the community, as the choir leads us in the call to prayer. Lead me, Lord. Dear God, most beneficent and merciful, we come to you today to thank you for all that we have, for the food we eat, the clothes we wear, the clean water we have access to, the opportunity we have to make a better life for our kin, and the fact that we are continuing to make this world a better place for all. We also ask for your help, Lord. We ask that you help those who go days without eating, those who barely have enough clothes or shoes to protect their feet. We pray for those who do not have access to water and those who are at the bottom and feel they cannot escape the oppression and injustice of their world. We pray that you help those who have had to live through natural disasters such as wildfires and hurricanes and have had their homes and lives destroyed. We pray that you help the people that are still, even today, suffering from religious persecution, being murdered for loving you, Lord. We pray you help those whose lives are rearranged because of the actions taken by radical individuals, including leaders whom they did not appoint. Good and gracious God, we pray for the people suffering from physical ailments, as well as mental health, anxiety, and depression. We pray for the victims of racism, discrimination, sexism, and violence, regardless of race, religion, sexual orientation, and political ideology. We are all born equal as your creation, with lungs to breathe, minds to think, and hearts to love one another. You must make your world a beautiful world and a better and cleaner place for our children who will inherit it. One person's problem is never solved until it is solved for all the people of this world. We are one. We pray to you with peace, love, and positivity. I mean, I invite you to pray with me now
6: Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Good morning. We welcome you again to the nave of Marsh Chapel on this 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation Sunday. Whether you are seated here with us today, listening live via the radio or an internet broadcast, or later via the podcast, please know that we value you as a member of our community. For those of you seated here in the pews, we ask that you locate the red pads found along the center aisle of each pew and enter your name and contact information in them. This helps us to get to know you better and the folks sitting with you to also get to know what your name is. Today, after the service, we invite you to take part in our coffee hour downstairs in the Marsh Room and if you feel so inclined to stay and participate in our weekly Bible study with Bill Quartz at 12.30 p.m. in the Thurman Room. This afternoon, the Marsh Organization for Volunteer Engagement, MOVE, invites students to join them in cleaning the esplanade along the banks of the Charles River. If you want to participate, please arrive at the chapel by 4 PM. They will clean as long as it's not pouring rain outside. Um, Our celebration of the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation does not stop with today. On Reformation Day, Tuesday, October 31st, the chapel will host two events uh, to commemorate this momentous anniversary. The first will be from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. on Marsh Plaza, during which we will be asking folks to write what they want to see reformed in the world on large chalkboard panels instead of nailing things to our door. Um, then at 6 p.m., we will be hosting a German-themed dinner and a film screening of PBS travel host Rick Steves' documentary, Luther and the Reformation. Space is limited for this latter event. Please contact me, Jessica Chica, at jchica.bu.edu to reserve a space. Uh, with a, an announcement from the music department, I believe Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett has something to say.
7: Thank you <laughs> very much, Jess. The, I want to just let you know about um, the anthem that we're about to perform that's pr- for the offertory this morning. It's Populi Omnis by Martinus Roth. And uh, it was written about a hundred years after the first, uh, the centennial of the uh, Reformation, and it was published in a series of anthologies um, in 1621. And these anthologies had a bunch of motets that were in use by, uh, in particular, the church in Leipzig of the Thomaskirche, and these motets were all performed by Bach's uh, choir in Leipzig. Um, they have not been in existence for hundreds of years, and from the scholarship of our friend and colleague, Fred Jodry at Brown University, he spent a sabbatical looking at these motets and uh, has brought them back to us. So we'll perform this morning one of these motets that Bach would have performed um, at the 200th anniversary of the Reformation but written 100 years before, so at the 100th anniversary. So it's a special performance of this piece in this motet, and I'm happy to bring both the piece, the scholarship, and this uh, unknown composer on this Reformation Sunday. Thanks, Jess. Mm
4: -hmm.
6: Thank you, Scott. Uh, this Friday, we invite students to participate in Friday Night Lights, the Shabbat services and meal at Boston University's Hillel, starting at 5.30 p.m. While students are encouraged to participate in Shabbat every week, regardless of their uh, religious backgrounds, this meal will specifically be focused on interfaith education and engagement. To register for the meal, please visit BU Hillel's website at bu.edu Hillel. For all other news and events, please visit Marsh Chapel's social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as the chapel website at bu.edu/chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. Now, as the ushers wait upon us for the offering, let us remember that it is a gift and a joy to be a giver.
0: healer, who fills the earth with life and hope. Guide us to use these gifts to be vessels of your love to others, so that others may feel your meaningful
1: warmth. Through Jesus Christ, we pray this all. Amen.